for our children. So if you're going to be going to workshop, you can stand where you are, and there's kids that are in your general vicinity. You can just extend your hand. Father, we lift up every one of these children before your heavenly throne tonight, and we declare over their life in Jesus' name that the greatest passion that is ever going to stir in their heart is a passion for your glory, a passion for your kingdom. There's going to be a devotion to your house, a place that you're going to plant them, Father. We just speak to their destinies. We say, come forth, those that are going to be called to marketplace ministry, those, Father, that are going to be ministering in the home, those that are going to be ministering in local churches, on mission fields far and wide, God. We can't see into their future, but you do, and we say to what you see, let it be done in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Come on, let's make some noise for our children. Come on. All right, so before we get started tonight, I just have to, have to tell you the story. We were at the Wave Conference all week. It was so good. Come on. T.D. Jakes in Virginia Beach live last night. Unbelievable. I gave my life to Jesus just all over again just because he's that good of a preacher, right? I've been living for Christ for 20-some years, but I, just, I couldn't help myself, right? All those people that... Yeah, I think he could just say hello, and people are going to make a decision for Christ. I mean, there's just a presence that he carries. It's, it, it's real. It's real. It's not show. I mean, it, yeah, it was, it was powerful. So anyways, so, so I was praying, you know, earlier today, and we're just we're excited about being here tonight. You're in a setting like that, and you just get filled with vision for, for your own church, you know, for what God's going to do and people's lives that gather here every week. And so, you know, we like to do giveaways every week. That's kind of part of who we are. It's part of our culture. It's, it's part of us, you know, wanting to create an environment that's celebrative and, and fun. I mean, God loves you. He, you know, he wants you to enjoy this life. And, and uh, not that it's without hardship, but in between those hardships, he wants you to smile big. And, and so we like to do these giveaways. And I, I didn't have the person that just gave me these didn't know that this was, this happened. So I'm not going to tell their name to, to, uh, I don't want to embarrass them, but they said, uh, they, they pulled, me, pulled me aside a little while ago and gave me this whole stack of gift cards. They had to, had to, they had to uh, imp their points. When they pulled them out of their wallet, their bank card was in there. And, and I said, I'll, I'll just take it just like that. Just go ahead and give me the, and those four little numbers that go with that. You can just go. But so I grabbed these, but it's neat because earlier today we were, we were out. We didn't have any, any, any giveaways. And so I'm praying and I felt like God spoke to me and said, I do not want you to stop and buy any gift cards today. And I said, well, God, we, you know, we do these giveaways at our church. You know, and, and if, if I don't have anything to give away, then there can't be a giveaway. And he said, I don't want you to stop and buy any giveaways on your way to church today. Didn't tell anybody that, didn't share that with anybody. So I just came and I figured, well, maybe today we're just not going to do any giveaways. I'm just, just out of the blue. Somebody pulled me aside and gave all these Panera cards, Starbucks cards. I'm sharing that with you publicly because, you know, my temptation is I'm just going to slip these into my pocket and... I mean, these two Walmart cards, that's a box of ammunition right there. You get 100 rounds of 9 millimeter right here for 20 bucks. Come on. That's serious business. So we're, we, we're going to do some giveaways tonight. Come on. Isn't that good? Come on. God moves in big ways, and he moves in small ways, and he does those things because he wants to know, hey, he's real. He is a living God. And he wants to speak to you tonight. And I hope you already sense that he's speaking to you already. He's certainly been speaking to me today. So, all right, let me, let me share, share this story with you. You know, we're, we're in, our, in the middle of our Faith Promise campaign that we're going to be doing this every year uh, together as a church. And so we're believing God together that we're going to see $50,000 come in in six months. How Faith Promise works is that you pray. 
God gives you a number. You don't know how you're going to get that number, but he, he gives you a number in a, in a time of prayer. He speaks to you. You write that down, and you believe by faith that he's going to provide that to you somehow, some way. You don't know how. And then you make a promise that, that as that money comes in, it might come in incrementally. It might come in in one lump sum. Uh, that, that you make a promise that you're going to give that to the Faith Promise Initiative. And there's three different ways that you can give. And then, right, because we like to have a good time, we've set markers at 10000 20000 not not promised, but collected, because we know some of you, that's just the kind of person you are, right? You're going to make the promise just to make us do these things. So we're, we're on to your game. We're on to your game. So at 10, when we crossed the 10,000, did you notice the slide? We're at what? 10,054. So the first one is the governance team at the end of the service, not tonight. We're going to schedule it because some people are out of town. We're doing the Buffalo Wild Wings Challenge at the end of the service on a Saturday night. I know. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. I leaned over and asked my son, Ethan, who was sitting up here, you're going to do that in my place, right? You're going to do that. We have the same last name. So at 20,000, this is all of, don't you miss our college students? Come on, they're going to be back soon. This is kind of their section right here. So the college students, when we hit 20,000 collected, they're going to take Vanessa and I on a shopping spree and do a makeover and whatever they, however they dress us, we're going to do our weekend services in those outfits for that weekend. So 30,000, the governance team is going to do a fear factor for the student ministries team. Student ministries team. So some have resigned already from, from, from youth ministry. At 40,000, Tim Rogers, best head of hair on the entire governance team, shaving it. Shaving it. I've got the clippers too. I'm hoping, I'm just going to, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to do it with a big smile too because I can't grow any hair anymore. So. Then 50,000, 50,000, I know, my first tattoo. I'm going to get the City Life logo tattooed. 50,000. Dollars collected. So come on, we're going to have a good time with it. We're going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We've already told faith promise stories. You've heard some in the part of our service. So I have another faith promise story that I want to read to you tonight. And so again, we're leaving out people's names. And uh, so if you have a story, send it to us. We'll leave out your name. We'll leave out your name. It says, I just wanted to let you know about some great things that have been happening lately. We've been tithers basically our whole marriage. That means they practice priority percentage given. If you're not familiar with that term, they set aside a certain percentage to give to the church every month. So they've been tithers basically that whole marriage, it says, even during the times when cash seemed low and bills were high, we continue to put God first and believe he is the God that he says he is. Come on. As you know, about five months ago, I changed careers and 10 days before my old job ran out, I was blessed with a job offer with a really good company and never missed a paycheck and even had some overlap in pay. And then just a short time later, my wife's job was going to end for the summer and us be without her pay for a few months. And then I got notified that I would be receiving some veterans benefits. And the amount of the benefits was almost exactly equal to my wife's paychecks. When I applied for the benefit, I was told that it would take 10 to 14 months, right? Because it's the federal government. 10 to 14 months for a determination to be made. And from the time I applied until the time I received the first paycheck was only four months. And it arrived just in time when she would have gotten her first check. It arrived right then, so they never missed a beat. And then he writes, wait, it gets better. As the youth prepared for camp, we learned of some teams struggling, some teens struggling to raise the money necessary to go. And so we sowed a seed. So they made a gift to that ministry, right? All, none of our kids, there was not one kid who couldn't go to camp because of the generosity from here in Williamsburg. I know you should give yourself a hand. Amazing, amazing. 
They were at, then when they got to camp, the youth leaders were telling the stories and the, all the other youth leaders of all the other churches just saying, how, how is that even possible? Come on, that's the series that we're in. And we're going to be talking about that in just a minute. Come on, we believe in an, a God who does impossible things. It says, within two weeks, within two weeks of making that gift, my regional manager visited me at work and I received word that I would be receiving a pay raise that was exactly 10 times the amount of the donation we gave to youth ministry. Come on. Due to the economy, no manager in my company had received a pay raise in the last three years, yet I received one worth several thousand dollars per year only after six months in the job. And as if that wasn't enough, you with me? The story just, it keeps going. So as if that wasn't enough, and certainly it would have been, as we prayed about our faith promise, we wrote down the number that we believe God was speaking to us And this week, my regional manager visited me again for my semi-annual evaluation. And after she went over the numbers and evaluation with me, she stated that due to the economic conditions in the current real estate market, she and the owner had decided to alter the bonus pay formula used for the managers of the nine properties that they own and manage. When they computed the formula, it was determined that I, my performance, I had maxed out my bonus. So he qualified for the biggest bonus possible. The bonus is going to cover their entire faith promise and still leaves them enough money to go on a trip to celebrate their upcoming wedding anniversary. Come on. I know. You should clap. It's good. It's great to know that we serve a God that is always on time, is faithful to keep his word, and who delights in opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out blessing on his people. If only we have the courage to step out in faith, obviously, We're glad that we did. It's good stuff, isn't it? Real people in this congregation, part of this church family, seeing God move in such impossible ways. In this series that we've been in for several weeks now, that's what we're talking about, 50-day people. We're asking the question, what does it mean to be a Pentecostal church in our modern-day world? Because that word has some baggage with it, and oftentimes it's not good baggage. We've been in settings and scenarios before where we've seen things that have been disruptive and out of control, and so we hear that word Pentecostal, and it maybe gives us some pause, and so we're saying, what, what does it mean? What does it mean? Because we don't want people that have acted inappropriately to rob us of an experience with God that is genuine and sincere. And so we've been digging around in this for several weeks now, and, and the verse that we've kind of latched onto is Mark 10, 27. It says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. At the City Life Church, we have an unshakable belief, an unshakable belief that God still makes the impossible possible. So every week we're telling these stories, and some stories are from our own congregation, like the one we shared tonight. Some others are just out of history. We told the story of Dean Carnazes, the marathon man who ran uh, 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. We talked about how the very first marathon was ever run, or the idea that came behind it, the Battle of Marathon with Pheidippides. Wow, it took me a little while. Even being Pentecostal, I had a hard time saying that. You say Pheidippides three times, right? You can say I'm Pentecostal. Pheidippides. So last week we talked about, how, how about we give away one of these cards? How about that? How about that? We're going to wake you up one way or the other. So last week we opened, somebody who's been at the church less than six months, so somebody, the story that we opened with last week that talked about something impossible having been broken, who is that? Come on, less than six months, less than a year, been at the church for less than a year. Who was here last week? We opened with a story about an impossible barrier being broken. 
Come on, Elena. You can get some help, some help from your friends, help from the crowd. Uh-oh, you're, you're not. See, she's going to give, watch and learn. She's going to get it, and she's going to give it to somebody. Come on. What is it? Under the four-minute mile. Come on. Very nice. Very nice. So why don't, why don't we reward good behavior and give one to Elena, too? How about that? How about that? See? Come on. Come on. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Yeah, we talked about last week in the 1950s that, that there was a psychological barrier that, that you could never run a mile in under four minutes. Not, I'm not sure why you would try to do that, but, but apparently that's important to people, right? Mom, I bet I can get from here to the pantry and back in four minutes. Kids time me. Four minutes broke the barrier. Now that barrier's long gone, not even a barrier anymore. We're looking at all of these impossible things that have happened in the world because we're trying to create a question in you that says, God, would you, is, would you do impossible things in my life? I don't want to just hear about them. I don't want to just read about them in, in real life scenarios, certainly in, in scriptures as we open up those pages. But, but God, would you do that in my life? And God's answer to you is, I can't wait for it to happen in your life. We want to create an appetite in you to believe God for impossible things. And so as, as the series has been moving through, we've been talking about the 10 impossibilities of the very first church, the church that was born 2,000 years ago. As you begin to read in the book of Acts, it means the Acts of the Apostles. And so you, you find this list in Acts 2, 41 through 47. And so sometimes we spent one week on one, sometimes we settle on it for a few weeks. So we talked about impossible worship last week. And we're going to pick up again with impossible worship tonight. And then we're going to stay in it next week as well. And we'll just, we'll see what happens. We're just going to see, we might not be able to get out of that because impossible worship is such a huge part of the culture of our church. So a little recap. Can we do a little recap for people that weren't here last week? If you haven't heard the podcast, you can get that in the notes. We'll be putting those online as well. But we read a, a portion of Scripture out of Ecclesiastes, and we talked about how, how Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, is the same person that wrote Proverbs. And it's such a tragedy because the reason why he wrote a book like Ecclesiastes is because he did not live by the very wisdom that he taught. He gave himself over to the big three, which was earlier in this series, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And because he gave himself over to those three avenues of sin, that he came to some conclusions that God doesn't agree with. So we talked last week that, that God didn't include Ecclesiastes in the Bible because he agrees with all of Solomon's conclusions but so that we can learn from his mistakes. We're not saying Ecclesiastes isn't divinely inspired. He was absolutely inspired by the Holy Spirit to put those words on that piece of paper, but they're there not so we do everything that's in that book. Some things in that book we're supposed to follow, and then some things are there so God can say to you and to me, oftentimes as you do your own children and your own household when you're correcting one, you look at the others and say, don't do what they did, right? God does that with us. He points at some of his children and he says, I want you to see this because I don't want you to repeat their mistakes. So this was Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes. He says, you're desperate for meaning. We could sum up all of Ecclesiastes in one statement. This would be it. And then he goes on to say, and, and, and we are doomed to a life where meaning is impossible. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? I mean, that's his conclusion that he came to, that you and I wake up every day with an ache deep inside of us that says, I long to experience the feeling of meaning in here. And then he says, but you're just 
never going to find it. It's going to be elusive to you all the days of your life. Thank goodness Ecclesiastes is not the only book in the Bible. As we begin to look at the other 65 books, let's, how about we do another giveaway? Feeling wealthy tonight with the giveaways. How many, how many books are in the Old Testament? Oh, another quick hand. If you get this right, you're going to give this away to somebody? Oh, you're going to give it to It's going to pass down the line. Shanny's like, come on, keep it coming. All right, how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Nice. Come on. All right, just for bragging rights, how many are, how many are in the New Testament? 27. 27. Yeah, come on. Total of 66. So when you, when you turn to the rest of the books of the Bible, God has an answer for Solomon's conclusion, a corrective statement. You're desperate for meaning. You can't read Scripture and not come to that conclusion. You're desperate for meaning and are destined for a life where meaning overflows in worship. We change the word in there a little bit, doomed to versus destined for. Because in Ecclesiastes, it's, 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 you're, you're doomed to it. There's nothing you can do to change it. The wording here is you're destined for, meaning God's going to do his part, but you've got to do yours. And if you're willing to do your part, you can step into moments where you will experience a feeling of meaning and purpose that is beyond description. And you and I woke up this morning and our hearts were aching to have that kind of encounter with the living God. And it's a fill-in-the-blank statement. The Bible has a lot of things to say, how we can experience that meaning. But it absolutely says you're going to experience it in worship. So we talked last week about Revelation chapter 4 and how we have this vision that John gets on the island of Patmos. And we see there that there's a place of meaning, there's a place of purpose. And just worshiping, worshiping the glory of God, being caught up in a place of awe at his wonder and his majesty. And, the, and so we worked through that. Again, you can get that on the podcast from last week. And a big reason why our church is, is so centered on the worship experience, which we're going to go back to, right? That's why we're putting it on the back end of the service because we want to talk about it tonight, and then we want to do it together. We want to step into that moment together. And last week, how powerful was that at the end of the service, right? Who came, anybody here came, was here that came forward last week? Come on, during that time? It was powerful, wasn't it? So we, 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 we created a picture of Revelation 4 right here at the front of the, the church. We had people that wanted to break through into a place of more freedom here, and then we had the youth who had just got back from camp all gathered around them, and we prayed together. I know, you felt it. it there, was a, there was a move of God that happened in, right here just, just last week, and you could see that the people that had responded to that, their, their lives were going to be changed forever. It's powerful. He's a living God. We, we don't want our services to be an exchange of information. We want you to have an encounter that brings about an impartation. We don't want our services to be an exchange of information. You can get information anywhere. You can go online. Heaven forbid you go to the library and look at an encyclopedia, right? All the youth said, encyclo what? What is that? We, we, this isn't about an exchange of information. Not that we don't believe in teaching, not believe that we don't believe in knowledge and all that the Bible has to say about those things. But in this setting, every week when we gather together, it's not about an exchange of information. It's about an encounter with the living God that brings about an impartation because an impartation changes who you are. And you might be here tonight and you're saying, well, Fred, I'm not sure I want to change. I'm not sure I need to change. Well, the people that know you best, that's not the story they're telling. I'm just saying. It's not the story that they're telling. So, so if in a place of worship, 
we experience a sense of meaning that's beyond description. Why is it that so often when we come into these settings, we shrink back from the very thing that's going to fill us to the very depth of our soul? So last week we talked about one of the reasons, this idea of God watching. Are you okay with him? This is where we finished last week. Are you okay with him watching from afar but afraid that when he's close, fearing there is the opportunity for him to reject you? There is a sense of meaning that floods our lives when we find his loving acceptance in a place of worship. He's not going to turn you away. And so what we want to talk about tonight is this idea of me watching. Then we're going to talk about others watching next week. So me watching. This is another reason why people shrink back. This is another reason why people come into settings like what you came into a little while ago, but hopefully it's not going to affect you as we go into the second part of the worship set because we're going to talk through it, and then hopefully it's going to, come on, be an impartational moment for you, and it's going to help change you so that you can have the freedom to step in. Mark 10, 35 through 37. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Mark 10, 35. This is just a fantastic story. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him, speaking of Jesus, and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. Inside joke, they're saying, you know, say no to me. If you've been here for the series, you know what that means. Come on. You know, say no to me, Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus ever asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. And they answered him, allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink from, the baptism that I'm going to be baptized in? This is an important story because we believe in the chronological context of the Bible, and so everything that happened, when it happened, helps us understand what's happening. So as you turn back into Mark chapter 9, 33 to 34, you find that the disciples were in an argument with each other over who's the greatest. So they're amongst themselves, Jesus isn't there, and and they're arguing about who his favorite is. They're arguing about who is the greatest amongst the twelve. And so when you get to Mark chapter 10, what you find is that James and John, it's really a continuation of the argument that happened amongst the disciples. And and I think, this is my own opinion, that, that what we see happening in Mark 10 is because when they were in Mark 9, they were convinced that they were the favorites. I think that probably their conversation with the other disciples, hey, you guys all know to be true that me and John, we're his favorites. So then you see a little bit later, right, really what they're saying is we're your favorites, right, Jesus? Because we just said that, that we were over here. And so when, when you establish your kingdom, will you give us the seats on your right and on your left? Now, as you go back a little bit farther into Mark chapter 9, you find something else happened that was impossible. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. That Peter, James, and John were invited by Jesus to go to the top of a mountain. And in that place, it says to us, you should read it. If you've never read it, you can read it later tonight. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, the Mount of Transfiguration. It says that Jesus broke out of his human form. How did that happen? We don't know. We don't understand. We know that he was both fully God and fully man when he walked upon this earth. But as he was on the top of that mountain, it's the only time that we're given in Scripture where where who he was in heaven before he came to earth was exposed and revealed on this earth. And Peter, James, and John got to see it. It says that, that he was in his glorified state. He, he just cast aside this shell, and Peter, James, and John were there to see it. 
Moses and Elijah met him there. Can you imagine? Come on, as incredible as last night was, right, with Bishop T.D. Jakes, even the best preacher on their best day, what's compared to that? I mean, being on a mountain with Jesus, his glorified state, Moses and Elijah, you're there. What kind of words do you find to describe that? James and John, that's what they saw. They had seen him in the fullness of his glory, and then just a few minutes later, just a few minutes later, they're arguing about who's the greatest. There are, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why they thought they were the greatest is because they were the ones that were invited to go up onto the mountain. Because this is the other thing that Jesus said to them, right? Don't tell anybody what you saw. So you know how this conversation's going around, right? We're the best. Why, why do you say that? I can't tell you. Can't tell you. But we are. But I'm not going to tell you why, right? Can you imagine? If you had the power of Jesus, you would have killed people every day. It's true, right? It just makes me wonder. As I was reading the story earlier this week, I just thought, you know, I wonder if there were just some moments, right? We know Jesus could get angry. We see him turning over the tables in the temple twice at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of this ministry. Some, when I read stories like this, I just wonder, in Mark 10, when they finally came to him and said, will you let us sit on either side of you in your glory? I just, I imagine Jesus looking at them and saying, Die! All right, now I'm going to raise you from the dead, right? And you're not going to remember anything that just happened. And James and John are walking away, and they're going, do you feel a little bit weird? I feel a little bit weird. What's, do you have a weird taste in your mouth? It tastes like the smell of death. Do you have any mints? Not, what are mints? They haven't been invented yet, but Jesus was telling me about those. It, that's what you and I would do, right? Are you kidding me? They had seen him in the fullness of his glory, and what they wanted to talk about was who was going to be at the front of the line. Now, we read stories like this, and we say, oh, that would not have been me, right? I would have spent all the rest of my days bowing at his feet if I had seen something like that. They were me watching. They were me watching. Last week we talked about God watching, and tonight we're talking about me watching. They were people that were always watching other things that distracted them from the presence of God that was right in front of them. And Jesus is looking at them. You know he's thinking it. You know he's, he's feeling it. How can you be asking, how could your focus be on these things over here when you just saw my glory? And I'm right here with you even now. How is it that you're not on your knees worshiping me right now? Right? And many of us have thought that before, but he really has the right to say it. So you and I read that story and we say, I wouldn't have done that. But yet so oftentimes we come into settings like this and it's the story of our lives. His glory couldn't be more real. His presence couldn't be more tangible. And at the place that we're invited to be drawn in, to experience meaning that's beyond description, we shrink back because we're me watching, because we're paying attention to other things that distract us from the glory and the wonder and the majesty of the presence of a living God. 
Can we be honest with each other tonight? So I'm not talking about things that you've heard from other people, but for your own personal life, moments that you've been in a place of worship and things that were a distraction to you. Come on. We, church is a participatory sport at the City Life Church. Been in an environment, yes. The way other people worship. Yeah, you're looking around and, and you see somebody worshiping in a way that you're not familiar with or you're not used to or you're not accustomed to and it becomes a distraction and that becomes your focus. Somebody else. You've been in a worship setting before and something that's a distraction to you. Not here, obviously. That would have never happened at the City Life Church, but in some other church. Somebody who doesn't, yeah, you're looking around and you're, how can they not enter in? And then all of a sudden, by them not entering in, you're not entering in because they've become a distraction to you. Did I see a hand up over here? Your work phone goes off. Yeah, and you can't turn that off, right, because it's your work phone. Yeah, I hear you. Sabra. Yeah, is that true, Jen? She can't sing? No. No. No, right. Your job, sometimes the nature of your job is such you can't turn it off or you can't turn it on. The nature of your job, sometimes you can't walk away from it, and that can become a distraction. We're self-conscious. We're going to talk about that next week, this idea of others watching. We're self-conscious about ourselves. It becomes a distraction. Somebody else. Somebody else. Donna. Yeah, you start to think about the things you have to do this week. Your to-do list. We all have a to-do list, and all of a sudden we're thinking about all the things that I've got to do, and the next thing you know, 15 minutes has gone by, right? Sandy. Yeah. When you're going through trials in your life, facing real hardship and real pain, and oftentimes that trial or that situation or that pain or that hurt becomes all-consuming, and it, it, it's distracting. Come on, one more. Yeah, children. Yeah. Right? Sometimes because they're cute, right? And so we get caught up in that in a good way. But then sometimes kids are just being kids, right? And so we know that sometimes that's part of our culture. We want our kids to be in here with worship. And sometimes we can pay a price for that. But it's a price that we're going to pay because we, we, want them, we want to model for them what worship is so they can follow in our footsteps. But you're right. It takes, it's hard. It's not always easy. All right, so I've got five that I'm going to throw up here. The first one is this, that person up there. This happens. It's happened here before. Maybe you're out there and you've been at the church long enough to get to know some people and then you're in worship and you're looking up there and you're saying, I know something about that person. I'm not sure they should be up there. So our answer to you, come on, we're talking about the culture of our church tonight, is we know something about them too, which is exactly why they're up there because at the City Life Church, we believe that participation leads to transformation. It's part of the culture of our church. Right, So if you're used to a church where there's this high threshold before you can step into a place of participation, that's not us. We want people to participate as soon as humanly possible. We joke, right, for our, our kids' ministries is the exception to that. We do background checks, and our kids, we're never going to let people be in those types of settings. There's a super high threshold for kids. We take chances with you. We take chances with you. Participation leads to transformation and so many people and so many churches, they get sidelined and they're not allowed to participate because of the junk in their life, but it's the junk in their life remains because they're not allowed to participate. And it's the very moment of participation that brings about the transformation that they're desperate for. Leadership for us in a church is a different kind of threshold. There's different markers of different thresholds for different kinds of leaders. 
But as far as if you're thinking about calling this your church home and you're thinking, I can't come here because I've got stuff, this is exactly where you need to be. And we're going to get you busy doing stuff and that's going to help you deal with the junk that's there that you want to see go away. Another distraction is people watching, right? We talked about that. That happens to me when I go to other places. I like to people watch at the mall, at the beach, right? Nate has this game that he plays that now it's, it's contagious, it's infected us whenever you see people that look like somebody else, right? You're always looking for somebody that looks like somebody. So just last night, before the, in my own defense, before the service started, right, I'm in there and I look over to my right and I, I kid you not, I took a picture of him and texted it to Nate. It, it looked like a prominent political figure sitting right there across the aisle. I texted Nate, he's here, I can't believe it, he's right here at the Wave Conference, right? Right across the aisle. People watching. So at the Wave Conference, there was a person on the platform in the opening night, right? It's a different culture there, different style of dress. Anybody here in equestrian sports? I had a good friend that was a rider. They make these riding pants, you know, that hug your, your so that you can fit into the riding boot. They're like this camel brown color. So this guy was on the platform. He had those kinds of pants on. They looked just like riding pants, except they were pulled way down. Right? And he had a shirt that hung way down to here. And I'm, I'm, I'm out there worshiping, right? The glory of the Lord. And every time I open my eyes, I'm like, where, does, where do you buy pants like that? Where, where, where do you get those? And then I said, say, and then all of a sudden, you know, I said, hmm, where did that funny taste come in my mouth? Right? Because Jesus said, die! Right, I'm going to raise you from the dead. I'm going to raise you from the dead. We're not here to look at those guys' pants. You're here to look at my glory. Right? We're people watchers. We're people watchers. It's one of the reasons why God gave you eyelids, so that in times of worship, you can practice some discipline. The music isn't for me. It's not my style. Do you have any Evie? Some Petra? Some Striper? We joke all the time here at our church, if, as cutting edge as we think we are in our worship, if we're doing these songs three years from now, we're not going to reach the next generation. We joke all the time, at some point, kids are going to say, are you kidding me, Kim Walker? That's who you're, and we're saying, come on, it just, right? Whoever the latest people are. You can be in a service, and you can say, if they would only play this song or play that kind of music, I would worship. Are you in it for the package, or are you there for the presence? We're just asking. Are you in it for the package, or are you in it for the presence? Because once our attention is on his presence, the package just doesn't matter anymore. I'm just, me personally, I'm just telling you, I think I could be in a room with Gregorian monks that are doing chants in Latin, and I'm entering in. I'm entering in. Because the presence of God, we can be awakened to his presence as soon as we bend our knee and open our mouths. We're in a season of celebration. We might not always be in a season of celebration in a church. I felt like God spoke that to me a couple of years ago when I went to the worship team and I said, make me want to dance. I can't dance a lick, but make me want to. Right? We're Psalm 27, 13. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a life verse for our church. So we're saying when we come together, we want to celebrate the goodness of God. Even if my circumstances seem to deny the goodness of God, I'm going to celebrate all the more because I know that it's just a season that I'm in and there's a season of goodness that's on the horizon. So I'm going to praise him now for what's going to come in my tomorrows. Season of 
of celebration we are in at the City Life Church. So the music reflects that. It's speaking to the culture of our church. Temperature, the lights, the seats. It's too cold, it's too hot, it's too bright, it's too dark. I wonder why they configure the chairs this way. They could configure their chairs that way, right? Come on, you know you're in here, all you type A personality people. My row is not straight. You know, you're, you're in here worshiping and you're doing this for the row in front of you. Then you stop every now and again and you work your way down. If the chairs were just a little bit neater, I could worship a little bit better. Are you in it for the presence or are you focused on the package? You don't want to see the fifth one. You want to see the fifth one? Say ouch in advance. I don't like that person. I know you've never said that about me, but there's other people in the room that you've said that about. I don't like that person. There's people that don't go to this church anymore because they had some type of run-in with some person, and I, I, I would meet with them, and they would tell me the story and not share the name. I'd say, come on, let's go and talk with that person. We can work it out together. It's part of the culture of the City Life Church. We work it out. If you want a church that doesn't have conflict, you're not going to find that church because there's people in every church that you go to. And if you find the church that doesn't have conflict, you're going to be the only one there. But eventually, you're going to have a conflict with yourself. You've all heard that joke, right? The person that was stranded on the desert island, when they come to rescue him, there were three huts. The first hut was the one he lived in, and they asked him, what's this other hut? And he said, well, that's my church. They said, well, what's the other one? That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Man, I don't like that person. If it had families, they say, well, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation. You're, you're not, you're, you're not, you're, you're not going to be very happy here because we have conversations like that with each other. We believe in a faith that instructs the way that we live. So if you're not careful, you can find yourself in a setting like this and someone's hurt your feelings or, or right, unintentionally, maybe intentionally. Maybe they were just having a bad day and they were me. And you can't worship because you look around and you see that person all of a sudden feelings begin to well up inside of your heart. Are you there for the people? Or are you there for the presence? We're just asking. If you're me watching... You're going to find yourself shrinking back from the moment of worship that could satisfy something inside of you that is beyond words could ever express. Isaiah 6. Oh, come on. This is good. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim, which are angelic creatures, were standing above him. It sounds a lot like Revelation 4. If you were here last week, each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two that he flew. And then one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways, they shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple filled with smoke. And then I said, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts, what's he saying there? He's saying that he's had his desperation revelation, which all of us need to have. When we have an encounter with the Holy God, we realize how undone we really are. 
Because I've seen these things, I see the depravity of my own humanity. May it be for all of us, Lord. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. I would have died right there. One of the seraphim flew right at Isaiah. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. Oh, come on. That's good stuff, isn't it? This is another sermon for another time, but where Paul talks about when someone treats you poorly and you respond to them in kindness, it's like heaping coals upon their head. He's not saying, hey, if you really want to know how to irritate somebody, just be nice to them when they're mean to you because that's what we do as Christians, right? How is that part of Christianity, right? It's, it's a reference to Isaiah 6. He's saying, he's saying when someone treats you poorly, you respond to them with goodness, and it's like if one coal cleansed Isaiah, what would it be if you responded in kind over and over and over and over? It's like heaping atoning coals upon their head, and because they get a glimpse of your grace, it causes them to believe that maybe there's a greater grace. Well, that's another sermon for another time, but we just had to talk about it because it's right there. Such a good part of the text. It's powerful here because Isaiah is caught up in a place of worship. He's caught up in a place of worship. And it's interesting to me that in this place of worship, God sends him out to do something. See, last week we said that the greatest sense of meaning that you're ever going to experience in your life isn't going to come from what you do. It's going to come from who you worship. Your greatest sense of meaning and purpose is not going to come from what you do. It's going to come from who you worship. But yet we get into this text, and what we find is that in that place of worship, God sends him out to do something. What we're not, we're not saying as a church there's no meaning and no purpose from doing. What we're saying is if you're going to have the kind of meaning and the kind of purpose that God wants you to experience, yeah, there are going to be times where he asks you to do something, but let it be because that doing is a response to a calling, and oftentimes that calling comes in a place of worship. Isaiah is here in this place, and I'm telling you, there's an experience and a feeling with meaning that he has that you and I are desperate to have for ourselves. No matter what hardships you're facing, no matter how many people in the room you don't like, no matter how messed up the rows are and loud the music is and poor the mix of the sound and the air conditioning's not working, um, you, you get past all the me watching. If, you're just, if you let yourself get past all the me watching and just get lost in that moment, there is the opportunity for you to overhear a conversation in heaven about you. Don't you love to hear people talking about you in good ways? Has that ever happened to you, Right? And you're a kid and you overhear your parents saying good things about you or you're in the workplace and you're walking around and you hear somebody saying nice things about you, right? Something just lifts inside of us. We overhear people just saying, speaking words of life about us. Something stirs inside of us. Well, if that happens when we hear people talking about us, what do you think can happen when you hear the creator of the universe speaking your name and God says to you, I can't wait for you to have an Isaiah 6 moment in your life because you know what heaven is having a conversation about you because you matter in heaven and you matter on this earth 
You have a purpose. You have a, a destiny. There's a, a plan that you're supposed to fulfill, a work that you're supposed to give your life to. And there is going to be meaning that's going to come from that. There is going to be a sense of purpose that floods your heart when you step into that place. But I'm telling you, the greatest moment of meaning doesn't come when you step into that place of fulfilling your destiny. It's as you begin to hear God speak those words over your life in a place of worship. And I'm just telling you, something will flood your soul and you'll just think you're going to burst. So don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. When you're in an environment and there's an opportunity in front of you to step into a place of worship, God's watching, but he's not going to send you away because he knows all the bad things that you've done. He's going to draw you closer still. Don't shrink back when you're in places and opportunities like this. Because you're choosing to not focus on the package, but you give your heart to his presence. And I'm just telling you, in that place, there's a whisper that he wants you to hear that includes your name, that includes your name. This table up here on each side of me is an important table for us at the City Life Church because the bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for you and the juice represents his blood. This comes out of Psalm 49. Beginning in verse 5, it says, Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes, yeah, they surround me. They trust in their wealth and they boast in their abundant riches, yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God since the price of redeeming him is just too costly. One should forever stop trying. Hey, we, we've all made mistakes in our lives. There's nothing that you can do to work that out on your own. Jesus worked that out on the cross. That's what grace is all about. You know, because one of the things that we often watch is we watch the story of our yesterdays and God says, hey, I'm not watching back there. I don't want you looking either. I want you to look ahead. I want you to look forward. My son died a gruesome death so you don't have to look back and so none of us have to look back. We're going to look forward together. And it might be that, that you're here tonight and as you look into the story of your life, you cannot find a moment where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. Come on, you find that moment tonight. There are people that are off to the side. Maybe you've never participated in what's called the Lord's Supper before in your whole life. Make a stop with one of these people and then find your way up here. Come on taste of that bread and taste of that juice for the first time. And I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you, something will happen deep in here. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this place of worship together, we pray that we would not shrink back, that we would give ourselves to your presence that's in this place, that we would allow you to capture our heart, that, that you would help us to set aside all the distractions that you would help us to see that there's a grace that you have for us, that you will never turn us away, that you're always inviting us in to a deeper place. And may it be for somebody here tonight, maybe for the first time, that they would hear a conversation in the heavens that speaks their name. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and everybody said together, at some point in this worship set, just as you feel led, just as your own choosing, we want to invite you to come.
take a piece of bread, take a cup, you take it back to your seat, and you might choose to stay here at the altar, and you, you just take that on your own, in your own time. You might come and choose to do that as a family. And in that place that you eat that bread and drink that cup, just, just, just pause for a moment and just listen and see what you might hear. Let's worship together. Greatest love that anyone could ever know. It overcame the cross and grave to find my soul. Until I see you face to face, 